The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, I, Tom! <laughs> I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mr. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. W.H. Weiskarper, a recent guest on the show, has pledged 50% of the proceeds from his book Twilight of Empire from sales between October 1st and October 31st to support the Tom Sumner program. W.H. Weiskarper, a former National Security Advisor and counsel for the U.S. Senate Armed Services Committee, pulls no punches, fusing history with political intrigue in Twilight of Empire, the third of four planned novels in the Resurrection Saga series. W.H. Carver's book, Twilight of Empire, shows that the U.S. has all the wealth, science, and resources to solve every issue we face today. Twilight of Empire by W.H. Weiscarver is available on Amazon and Apple Books. For more information and to support the Tom Sumner Program, visit whyscarver.com. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome to part two of this week's edition of Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. Joining me for today's edition of Armchair Politics, our panel of political pundits includes on the left, Flint's premier political pundit, (coughs) Paul Rosicki. Paul, welcome back. Always good to be here. And uh, on the right, longtime Genesee County Republican Henry Hatter. Henry, welcome back to you. Thank you, Tom. And uh, joining us this week is uh, East Village Magazine Consulting Editor Jan Worth-Nelson. Jan, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be back. And just before we ended the uh, the previous hour, part one of uh, today's edition of Armchair Politics, Jan, we were talking uh, a little bit about nonprofits and and really in relationship to federal dollars uh, because of the, the pandemic and uh, the uh, American Rescue Plan from President Biden um, and and its temporary impact on municipal and, and state budgets. And, and that's, uh, I, I was just going to make the comment as you were talking about, um, talking about that, we, we were talking about nonprofits and how they exist on grant funding and that can sometimes be temporary or they become uh, 
they, they find themselves full-time in pursuit of grant funding to continue their, their operations. And uh, I was going to say that's the, um, that's the, the age-old debate in nonprofit organizations is mission versus margin. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, moving on. Former Michigan House Speaker Tom Leonard will seek the Republican nomination for Attorney General a second time, setting up the potential for a rematch with sitting Democratic Attorney General Dana Nessel. Leonard, a DeWitt Republican, lost a close race to Nessel in 2018 for the open Attorney General seat vacated by term-limited Republican Bill Schuette. Prior to that, he served three terms in the Michigan House, serving as House Speaker in his final term, and also worked as an Assistant Attorney General and as an Assistant Prosecutor in Genesee County. Candidates for Attorney General in Michigan are nominated at party conventions. Also in the running for the Republican nomination this cycle are uh, State Representative Ryan Berman, a Republican from uh, Commerce Township, and Portage-based attorney Matthew DiPerno. Now, Matthew DiPerno has been on the show talking about his announcement, and I invited Tom Leonard. I have not heard back from him. He's been on the show several times in the past. But the question is, will Tom Leonard be the GOP nominee for AG, and does he stand a better chance against AG Nessel in this election cycle? I think the key thing for Leonard is, as I understand it, he does not have the Trump endorsements, and one other candidate does. And will that, will that hurt him or help him in, in, in getting the Republican nomination? I think it would be worth watching to see how, how the Republican primaries go for the nomination for that, uh, or the, the endorsements at the conventions. Well, it's kind of interesting. Matt DiPerno, when he was on the show, was trying to distance himself a little bit from Trump. But yet, his claim to fame is that he was the uh, attorney that brought the lawsuit up north. Um, exactly, yeah. Challenging yeah. the uh, voting uh, machines and procedures and, and, uh, and I, the outcomes. I, I believe Trump has endorsed him, hasn't he? I think you're right about that. Yeah, yeah. But I think it's really too early to decide that. Uh, first of all, we don't know how much Trump's pool is in Michigan. Remember, Michigan is an extremely Democrat state, anchored in Democrats. So the, the likelihood of whether the Trump endorsement is going to be favorable or not favorable may be um, yet something to be accounted for. But Tom Leonard, I wouldn't... I would not discount him. He no, was I, a, I he think was he's young. A, he's, he's a pretty a, good uh, candidate. Yeah, talented. He works well with people. He works well with Democrats and Republicans. As a matter of fact, he worked for uh, our own um, uh, justice system here in Flint before he became the Attorney General. I was going to say, he had some local contacts in his past. His yes, he career, did. He's he? worked yeah. for Democrats before. Yeah, he was he, he was an assistant prosecutor here in no, uh, Genesee County. Yeah, prosecutor. Thank you. Yes, so you can't ever tell how, uh, and that could bode well for him. And besides, he's a likable guy. His family's likable. His kids are. He's a person that never meets a stranger. Yeah, I, say, I think the key thing to watch as we get into the next year's primary season and the conventions is what what do these what do these Trump endorsements mean? 
I mean, and I think it's going to going to be kind of an acid test to see whether or not Trump has still got a hold on the Republican Party if he, if his people win all over the place, or whether they lose all over the place. But that my comment was not to dis, uh, dissuade President Trump because he's still active and he has a presence throughout oh, yeah, the fifty just, states and the United States, very influential presence. But we just can't go out and blankly say that he's going to help someone who uh, is not endorsed by him, how that would be disfavorable to that person or not. Because yeah, I, 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 think Tom has a lot. I, I think you're it, right, some, Henry. I was going to say, in some ways, I think the, the, the test of when, on whether Trump survives will be this next year. As I say, if his people do very, very well, his endorsed people do very, very well, it's going to be more and more the Trump party. Yeah, they mostly fall by the wayside, then Trump may well, you know, fall by the wayside himself. But but you uh, again, I ask you guys to take a real good look at the Republican Party and Trump. The Republican Party is bigger than any individual, and it's it's staying out of the fray of conversation uh, about this issue, and it rightfully should. In fact, there was, there was kind of an interesting comment that I, I came across this past week where Betsy DeVos at the Mackinac conference uh, didn't, didn't mention Trump's name, but came out against uh, this adoration of personalities. And it's pretty clear she was talking about Trump. I mean, and here's somebody who, of course, was in, in the Trump cabinet and all of that, strong Trump supporter, and at least in a vague sort of way, was coming out, speaking to Republicans, coming out against Trump in some ways. So, yeah, yeah she said, remember the party is bigger than any individual. She said princi well, principles have been overtaken by personalities in today's political environment. She uh, went on to say ours is not a movement dependent on any one person, which is a case that Henry makes every week. Um, politics now are so often about people not the policies that impact lives directly. Yeah. yeah. So is there a sign that this Republican establishment, or whatever you want to call it, uh, the Republicans who have brains um, and are willing to well, use them, are slowly, slowly, slowly finding some courage, Henry? To uh, Well, you know, I, I really think that President Trump has been an awesome um very uh, visible individual that has held the country's attention for four years. And by the way, he didn't do badly there around the world, uh, as he was uh, thought to be the president of the United States. He has his enemies, of course. But then when you compare that to the party, the party is being quiet. It should be. Well, and, and the question I had about Betsy DeVos's remarks at the Mackinac Conference was, is this a condemnation of Donald Trump or a simple wake-up call <laughs> for the grand old party? Well, I, I don't know. That's difficult to answer. Uh, you know, we don't have enough of trends to establish a credible, lucid. Yeah. Uh, Henry, how do you... Uh, the emergency of, say, the Bush family in support of Liz Cheney, something like that, like a national sort of thing that's happening. Uh, it does show that the Republican, but that's what he shows, is that the Republican Party has independent, independent thinkers, people with power and position and influence. The party is just not a job of something, but it's 
of personalities of people let me try of and, ideas let me try and squeeze in another uh, another item here before we go to break the michigan republican party and its chair ron weiser are suing michigan secretary of state jocelyn benson over allowing contributions to governor gretchen whitmer that exceed the normal contribution limit Whitmer reported donations as large as $250,000 in her last campaign finance report, well over the typical individual limit of $7,150. Her campaign did so, relying on a caveat. In 1984, former Secretary of State Richard Austin confirmed 1983 guidance saying contribution limits didn't apply to candidates facing recall. While none of the recalls against Whitmer pose a serious threat, there have been dozens of attempts. Hmm. Is the governor, or at least her campaign committee, wiggling through a very narrow loophole here? Uh -huh. uh, probably, and it also opens the door for anybody who wants to raise, wants to work around that. All you got to do is have somebody stand in the corner and say, "I want to recall this person," and all of a sudden now you've got the uh, possibility of raising money outside of the ordinary state limits. When you think through that, uh, both of you are correct. I think that uh, we have to be careful about how we support or exonerate this process. Yeah. yeah. It, it again goes back to sort of basic questions of democracy to me. It's like, um, why, you know, when we elect somebody and then as soon as they do something we don't like, we file a recall against them. Uh, <laughs> like, it's, it's, <laughs> the popularity <laughs> grows. The popularity grows now. What you do is a whole new feel of enthusiasm. But the call. Remember David Davenport, who was recalling everybody in the county at one point? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Well, your politics, like, the, the whole idea is you vote for, you know, the person gets voted in, they do the best they can, supposedly, and then if you don't like what they do, then you, are, you campaign against them or get somebody else, try to get somebody else in the next time the vote comes up. I, I just feel like this whole recall mania is uh, a, another element of, sort of losing faith or refusing to accept uh, democratic processes, in my yeah. view. Gavin yeah. Newsom, Gav, Gavin Newsom, Newsom was a, a, California, yeah. a exact uh, incident of that. Example, yeah. 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 And, you know, sometimes when you, if you survive a recall, you come out stronger. I recall... Uh, Yes. Mayor Weaver survived her recall, and it, it, it seemed to actually enhance her status in some ways. Having she came across very, very well, and she got a majority of the votes uh, surviving the recall. But I think she was almost in a better position afterwards. But again, I, I've always argued that it's almost a local hobby here in, in Michigan and in Genesee County. If somebody looks at you cross-eyed, you go out there and try and recall them. Oh, yeah, yeah, instead of going to the meetings and speaking yeah. up at you know, trying to persuade people to uh, have to do something different. That's the hard work. That's the hard work of democracy there. And so, sort of like we want the we want the easy, some kind of easy route of throwing tantrums and uh, and name calling and everything. And that's supposed to function as democratic process. 
I mean, yeah, no. Well, on that note, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back with more armchair politics on the Tom Sumner program after we let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us, we have some messages Hello, as well. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. And if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Vi from the Blue Hornets. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's, that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all always. It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a kind and check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com Yo, speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? Mm. It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. 
No, I get it. You're busy. But you know, Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody. We continue with uh, Hour 2 of our uh, weekly roundtable armchair politics with our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki on the left, Henry Hatter on the right, and they're joined uh, today by um, Danworth Nelson from East Village Magazine. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. Where am I... I just got uh, I just got my COVID uh, booster shot last night yesterday afternoon, so I am having a few side effects. So if I'm not making any sense, I'm going to blame it on that. <laughs> I was going to say, Jan, where did you get it? Did you go to go to Myers again? Yeah, it was very efficient. I was okay, in and out in five minutes. It was great. Yeah, we, we we've got to do it in the next day or two. So, hello. I'm, I'm sorry, that's that's my fault. I just paused here for a moment while I was thumbing through some pages to see how much I'm going to be able to squeeze in here. Um, there was one more thing um, from Michigan Headlines that I wanted to include. A Monday vote by Michigan's elections panel clears the way for a Republican-led effort to collect signatures on an initiative that proposes new voter ID rules restrictions on election funding, and a ban against election officials mailing absentee ballot applications unless voters specifically request them. The Board of State Canvassers approved the uh, Secure Michigan Vote Petition form in a 3-0 to zero vote, allowing the group to gather at least 340,000 signatures, the number needed to introduce the uh, initiative to the legislature. Democratic State Canvasser board member uh, Julie Matuzak was absent. The initiative mirrors proposals in GOP bills opposed by voting rights advocates and election officials who say the changes would disenfranchise voters. Governor Gretchen Whitmer is expected to veto those bills, but the initiative process allows state lawmakers to enact the changes without her approval or a statewide vote. Um, can tweaking voting laws and policies have a significant impact on future election outcomes? Oh, oh I yeah. So. I, yeah, yeah well, that can discourage people. Yeah. Um, as, I, as I, I think I once once said that in some ways, though, and this has clearly become a partisan issue where Democrats are favoring expanding the absentee voting and other similar things, Republicans opposing it, but it may have a long-term effect in the other direction because historically... The absentee vote has generally been a bit more Republican. It wasn't that way in 2016 or 20, but uh, and if you go back further, it had been more Republican. So, in an ironic way, if as if these things become law, they may have the effect of, uh, uh, yeah, temporarily diminishing the Democratic vote, but in the longer term, it may have some similar effects on a Republican vote as well. So. Uh, and the other curious thing is that this this is, this is kind of a, an odd way of working around the governor's veto. I mean, clearly, I thought this proposal may or may not go to the voters, but the idea is to put it in front of the legislature and let them pass it uh, without the possibility of, of a gubernatorial veto. I think that's the real strategy here. 
But there, there's another um, uh, issue that's emerging on the surface, and that is how people of color will change the dynamics in voting, whether there's going to be a tremendous shift or some 10% or more of uh, voters of color, if you want to call them that, um, <clears throat> shift uh, to the opposing party. Uh, that will that would be uh, that would change the dynamics, and those are things that we're not reading yet. And, and I don't, uh, there's a lot of interest in it, but I don't think that people have pointed out any kind of a, uh, estimates of how that's likely to change our voting behavior in the United States. Or not. Yeah, well, you, you saw a little bit of that in 2020, Henry. I mean, yeah, the the African American vote went a little more Republican than usual than expected. Well, still very heavily democratic, obviously. But that might be best for the United States. You know, um, having people of different perspectives add in on the discussion that's unable for well, the right let's, reasons. Let's move on to Washington, see if things are going any better there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Congress, Congress is barreling toward a mid-October deadline to raise the national debt limit. The Democrats and Republicans are locked in a stalemate oh, no. over the issue with no clear resolution and the clock ticking down. Democrats and Republicans uh, want Demo uh, Democrats want Republicans to join with them in a bipartisan vote to suspend the debt limit, but Republicans insist they won't do that and have called for Democrats to act on their own to address the issue. With control of both chambers of Congress and the White House, Democrats face intensifying pressure to go it alone, but have so far not committed to that course of action and are still attempting to force Republicans to vote on the issue, even if those votes are destined to fail. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi told Democrats that a vote on raising the debt ceiling could come as soon as Tuesday. A source in the Democratic caucus meeting told CNN that. Uh, Pelosi signaled during the same meeting that Democrats are going to decouple the stopgap funding bill known as a continuing resolution to fund the government from the provision to raise the debt ceiling, according to a source in the meeting. This move could avoid a government shutdown because Republicans have said they will not vote for the stopgap bill if it includes the debt ceiling provision. Government funding is scheduled to run out at midnight Eastern tomorrow night. It is not likely to resolve the debt limit issue, however. Are you expecting to see a government shutdown followed by the U.S. faulting on some of its debt obligations? Mm, I, would guess, maybe a, I would be shocked to see a brief shutdown, but I would be totally shocked to see a default in the debt because the consequences would be enormous. Yes, uh, it would be terrible. How nail is Mitch McConnell? What, what was that, Jan? I'm sorry. How nihilistic is Mitch McConnell? I mean, is he really willing to let the country go down like that? It's in his hands. Well, I think uh, McConnell is looking at uh, the fact that <clears throat> the United States does not want to become a second-rate country with resources. Uh, that are sacrificed for frivolous reasons. Now, uh, giving everybody uh, uh, everything they want is probably not good. 
not even for the rich or the poor or whatever. Yeah, I would think I we got to look at the country first. So wait, 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 wait. Uh, I think that is a really radical oversimplification of what's being yeah. attempted. In all due respect, um, the con- the contrast between what's being argued out, um, you know, uh, on these proposals and the consequences of default. There's no way to compare the two. I I think your your um, your interpretation of that this is giving everybody everything they want. No, I don't mean that to uh, the letter right, of it's, the idea, but to the dangers but, of a default. So I I think that's a, a troubling way of putting it, in my view. But it be, is how how we look at these things. I mean, basically, but, the default is, I mean, avoiding default, this means you're going to pay your past bills. It's like paying your old, your credit card bill in a month. But see, you, but you, see what the Republicans are doing is by avoiding the issue and putting it on Democrats. They're going to blame go them. Alone. Yeah. They're going yeah. to no, hold that's that over idea. them all through 2022 and into 2024. They're going to be, remember when the Democrats yeah. raised the debt ceiling to whatever astronomical number it's up to now? The Hoover syndrome. I think you don't want to go there. or something. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want to go there. No. Yeah. But I think among Republicans, even among the Mitch McConnell Republicans, the business the Republican business community is the, are the last people who want to see that debt limited, debt limit, uh, 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 not raised because the consequences would be catastrophic. But it's a practice that we've done forever. And we oh, yeah. we're, we're, we're driving the country um, further and further to, toward more debt and uh, high risk. These are risky issues that we must think of in a very deliberate way. We just can't go out and let it keep going. Somewhere things have to slow down or stop. Yeah. I think that this is not necessarily only Dem- uh, Republicans thinking about this. There are Democrats thinking about the same thing. Sir. Oh, yeah, no, it's, it's a serious issue. We've been here before, though. After World War II, the debt limit began to exceed the GDP, and we're about there again. So it, it's it's not like we've never done it before, but it is serious, and uh, we have dealt with it before. As I say, in the late 40s and early 50s, we were able to, to work around that and grow the economy to, to deal with the issue. Hopefully that will happen again. But we are getting to the similar kind of level that we saw uh, during and right after World War II. And well, might I propose, and I know that I'm going to sound like I'm just uh, predictably on on the left side of this, but um, the way of paying for the infrastructure bill that's kind of at the heart of it is um, it is being paid for by the by the design of the proposal. So yeah. you know, so it's I think. There's an attempt to say we do know that we have to pay for this, and this is the way we're going to do it. We want corporations to pay their share, and we want the ultra rich to pay their share. So it's not yeah. as if there's no uh, exactly. understanding shown of how this would be paid for. Unlike what happened under the last four years, where there were tax breaks given that made it worse. So I feel like um, if our concern is that whole question of how much debt are we going into and so on, I would ask you to look at the proposals that are that have a way built within them to pay for themselves. So, and, and Dan, uh, with respect to what you, 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 the point you've made, 
this will not only benefit people in our generation for them back to work, but it will also benefit people of the next generation because much of the uh, repairing of uh, uh, replacement of resources will be right. done so that they benefit from. So everybody right. to say that we're going to pass this on to the new generation is probably not the true picture, but it is. Uh, depending on how you look at it. It could be both. Everybody yeah. benefits. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm glad to see that some Republicans are saying they want the infrastructure stuff. I know this, we're going a little bit away from the original point, Tom, but, um, you know, that it's in, this infrastructure stuff is actual visible changes to help people that um, I think everybody's kind of hungry for right now, including I know a lot of Republicans. Just the official Republicans, elected Republicans, are are still like drinking the Kool Aid of Mitch McConnell, in my view. And I I wish that there was a little more courage to come out and say the country needs infrastructure. Let's vote for it. You know. Well, let's let's move on to something uh, something else. President Joe Biden spoke for the first time Wednesday with French President Emmanuel Macron after a major diplomatic crisis exploded between the two longtime allies over a deal to equip Australia with nuclear-powered submarines. In the 30-minute call, Biden appeared to acknowledge missteps in how the United States approached the talks. A joint statement between the United States and France afterwards said Macron and Biden agreed that the situation would have benefited from open consultations among allies on matters of strategic interest to France and our European partners. President Biden conveyed his ongoing commitment in that regard, the statement said. The rare, if indirect, admission of error was a signal of how seriously both sides are taking the diplomatic dispute, which has led to the lowest point in relations between the United States and France since the Freedom Fries era at the start of the Iraq War. Yeah. How important is France as a U.S. ally? Very important. Uh, you remember what Donald uh, Rumsfeld said back in the Freedom Fries era, right Right when uh, he said going to war in Afghanistan without France is like uh, going duck hunting without an accordion. <laughs> yeah, well, but, but clearly they're, they're a major part of NATO and, 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 and an attempt to yeah. rebuild NATO after the Trump era. Keeping France on board is an important issue. Uh, sure it is. Yeah. Well, you're a Democrat or Republican. That's. I'm sorry. I I have, I have appreciated that Biden has been willing to say the buck stops with me and has apologized for things that have gone wrong and everything. It's just that at this point, I'm getting a little tired with the need to apologize so frequently for missteps. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I'm ready to be done correctly so that there, there don't have to be apologies all over the place. I mean, again, I you know, it's it's such a difference from Trump who would never admit to anything and you know I think Biden is basically a decent guy and I appreciate that that we have that in our president now but could we have fewer missteps so we wouldn't have to have as many apologies I mean it's uh, true, true. You know? well it's easier to ask forgiveness than it is to ask permission <laughs> yeah <laughs> I mean I know that he inherited a giant mess I can't imagine that a 78-year-old man has been able to sleep at night with all the stuff that he's having to deal with and everything. Uh, I just—I don't just know. Hope- Ronald Reagan didn't have any trouble sleeping. 
Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that was during cabinet meetings, wasn't it? <laughs> I, I, I think maybe it was. I no, mean, I think he gets a bad rap for that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Wait, I, I'm just, I, 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 you know, I'm rooting for Biden to to get things to work right. Uh, for the extremely rough his administration has had, um, it, it just, it's great to apologize and ask forgiveness and everything, but, you know, let's get some things to work. Yeah, and, you know, and, I, and I'm having difficulty to find out whether the, where is the enemy? Is he in the Atlantic or the Pacific? Uh, he's in Asia or he's in South America, wherever. He is. Um, or is he here? Or can't we tell the difference? Because Democrats and Republicans, they jump on the president of the United States who represents all of us and join the other side. That's what most uh, disconcerting to me. And it's whether, it doesn't matter whether you're a Democrat or Republican. We have grown up with that culture, and all of us have it now, and it's threatening to tear us apart. That's such a good point. Such a good point. Yeah. Well, the final report produced by Cyber Ninjas, the company hired by Arizona Senate Republicans to conduct a months-long partisan review of the 2.1 million ballots cast in Maricopa County in the 2020 election, shows that the results of reviewers' hand recount are nearly identical to the county's tally. The state Senate released the report Friday during a presentation by Cyber Ninjas and its subcontractors of its findings. The ballots that were provided to us to count in the Coliseum very accurately correlate with the official canvas numbers. That's according to uh, Cyber Ninjas CEO Doug Logan. Um, He noted that the hand recount found President Joe Biden gaining 99 votes in Maricopa County and former President Donald Trump losing 261 votes, which he called very small discrepancies. Still, the report is certain to be used as propaganda by Trump and his allies to push for more restrictive voting laws and further investigations into the 2020 election, both in Arizona and in other states. What's next? Will Trumpers start rallying against so-called fake proof? <laughs> yeah. I mean, how, how, how many times do you recount, recount, and audit every election you can find? Uh, and, I mean, a, how, how do you explain that Trump goes out there in a rally the, day, the next day and says exactly the opposite of what those guys said. I mean, yeah, yeah. but Henry, he's telling how, the American people what they want to hear. That's that's what I'm saying. Are we going to start now saying, you know, when presented with proof that it's fake proof? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I Henry, know, uh, yes. Can you help me? Can you help me? Because I feel like I'm going crazy. Help me okay. if I can. <laughs> I, I I'm sorry. Americans are growing up with the culture of division. And, but no, no, uh, I'm talking about Trump lying. Help me. Oh. <clears throat> well, I'm sorry. I I can't say I can tell when he's lying or not. I don't. He, he isn't disgusted but, but with her, me. But her point, and, her um, point is, um, you know, here is... Uh, Arizona Senate Republicans hired a firm to do a review. The review was done, and the findings were released. And they say one thing, and then the former president goes out the next day in a rally and says the exact opposite. And 
where does it? Where do you draw the, the crowd, line? And the crowd here. I mean, I know. The, the, where do you draw the, the line here. between strategy and flat-out lying? And uh, yeah, I mean, again, numbers show that. I mean, I don't know what the current numbers are, but maybe between thirty and sixty percent of Republican voters still believe the election was uh, was fixed somehow. After all these recounts and all these mm-hmm. audits and all these court tests, uh, you think sooner or later it's got to be settled. But that um, just shouldn't happen in the United States. It shouldn't happen in a democracy. Yeah, I've never yeah. had this crisis before. And then all of a sudden it's there and people expect for, uh, I don't know what they expect, but well, there's this, nobody this thinking. Really, Everybody's talking and nobody's thinking. This really erodes trust in the whole system. It's, it's bigger than Trump or Biden or anybody else. This really yeah. erodes trust in the whole system, which is in many ways much more serious. It's a case where the, t- the t- tail is wagging the dog. The president is the president, and the people out there say, well, you better go vote as I want to. I'll recall you. I'll put you out of office. So I'll, I'll devastate your name with lies of all types. This yeah, is American politics. Well, so are you saying that we should just accept the way that Trump behaves? No. Oh, no, no, no. It's bigger than he I, I think uh, Paul just said it's bigger than we are. It's in the people. The tail is wagging the dog. Which we, we elect these people to be well, our leaders and our representatives, and yet when they go out there, they can't do very much because of, of the nature of politics in the United States. It's not well, what it was years ago. No, I know. Could, and I think Donald Trump, is he the tail or the dog? Well, he's the dog. Well, no, in, in many ways, in some ways, Trump tapped into things that been going on for a while. We've lost trust in a lot of institutions. I mean, we see that in Flint here, where we don't trust the government, we don't trust the media, we don't trust corporations, we don't trust a lot of stuff. And in some ways, Trump tapped into that. But he's kind of the worst example of, of that distrust of everything. Yeah, but you would never think of this uh, happening in the United States of America. No, it's, I say, it's, it's, uh, it really does raise some serious, very serious worries. I, I grew up in a time when... The United States was everything, and that the people's people were everything, yeah. despite well, the fact that it had its, its, its evil part of it against uh, people of color and race and gender. But it well, was remember, still remember everything. In, in 2000, when, when Gore lost after that very contentious election and Supreme Court ruling, he came out and at least in some ways graciously conceded, said, all right, the party's over, I, I lost. Uh, albeit you can raise a lot of questions about it, but he he, he conceded. Here we are, almost a year after the uh, the the last election, and Trump is still claiming that he sort of won. Uh, it's 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 a very we've, I'm not aware of any other president who's who's behaved in the same way. And where are the voices, Henry? Again, I'm sort of just in this desperate moment well, here. But I, but I, I don't want to stay on this on this point too much longer because <laughs> it reminds me of, you know, the uh, activist who, you know, looks at the crowd of people and says, "Where are the people going so I can lead them?" Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And unfortunately, uh, yeah. I think we I think we have uh, a whole lot of people like that in the country today. And and yes. we're, there's we're, that old slogan: the best way to be a leader is to find a parade and get in front of it. Yeah, but, but there's an important question that was asked: Where are we? Who are we? Where are we yeah. going? What's going? How can we change that? Well, Those and where are, are the real? Li- 
and where are real leaders? Right. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. we got a break yeah. here. Um, <laughs> okay. Thank we're going to take a short break, let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well, so don't touch that dial, don't click that mouse. We'll be right back. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic, and guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now, and now, and now too, and even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to AmericanSchismBook.com. 
MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. Oh, but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of today's edition of uh, Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program, where we look at those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. Tom Duffy's traveling circus in Ireland has launched a job drive for a number of roles ahead of restarting their tour, including a plea for any clowns who, quote, must be hilarious. <laughs> as, as, quote, no old jokes are accepted. <laughs> The circus is gearing up to travel cross-country once again and has several vacancies on the book suitable for clowns and non-clowns alike. They're also hiring mechanics, billers, electricians, and general circus operatives. Most jobs require candidates with former relevant experience with the exception of the clowns who are only required to be hilarious. The the post shared on Facebook says, Job opportunities, Ireland's favorite circus will soon be back on the road, touring towns and cities across the country. Could they recruit the requisite number of clowns needed by advertising in the Washington Post? (laughs) Have they considered stopping at Flint City Hall? Well, here's one that really belongs in the X-Files. A man claims to be a time traveler who has visited the year 2118 and said that he has photographic evidence of what the future has in store. Alexander Smith said that in 1981 he traveled to the future on a top-secret mission for the CIA, adding that it was an experiment he would never forget. Speaking to Apex TV, he said that aliens will soon visit the Earth and make contact with world leaders and that later World War III will break out after a conflict between the U.S. and North Korea. To back his claims, Alexander took a photograph with him and presented it on air and it appears to show a futuristic city with green skyscrapers. He said, aliens do visit us. They are intelligent extraterrestrials that do come to Earth. This is in the mid-21st century. There is actually contact with intelligent extraterrestrials long before it was revealed to the public. These aliens don't necessarily live among us, but they do visit from time to time. Um, apparently, we're a nice place to visit, but... You know the rest. Alexander Alexander went on to make a grim revelation about World War III, sharing that soon we'd be in conflict, that 
but that ultimately it would make the world a better place. He continued, borders began to become meaningless, and the people began to have a love and appreciation for life, one which would inspire them not to inflict any type of harm upon their neighbor. If you could travel to the future, would you make sure to bring back a selfie? <laughs> I would have <imagine. laughs> yeah. These days, everybody would. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I just wonder if the buildings were made of green bags. <laughs> They're all green. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Picture of a of green skyscrapers. I, and, and actually, I saw the image, and they are actually the color green. They're not just sustainably <laughs> energized. But... Uh, a, a group of high school students in Massachusetts had to ride on a party bus complete with a stripper pole and neon lights during a recent field trip, an experience their teacher said highlights problems with the education system. Jim Mayers, an 11th grade advanced placement language and composition teacher at the Brook uh, Charter School in Boston, said in the uh, since-deleted tweet that the original charter bus had fallen through. Um, it it is a funny story but there actually is a real bus shortage and it speaks to major flaws in our education system he said adding that the field trip was a success he is now using the attention he's getting because of the original tweet to urge people to better understand educational inequities and other problems facing the nation's schools for example districts across the nation are struggling to hire enough drivers to shuttle kids to school and some states have become creative including Massachusetts which is enlisting National Guard members to drive school transport oh. vans which is more troubling kids taking a field trip in a party bus or being shuttled to school by the National Guard <laughs> that's a good question yeah I don't know Hmm. Kids would love to have to be shuttled by National Guards. Well, and I'm sure there are a lot of kids who wouldn't mind going on a field trip with a party bus. Yeah, I think the party bus uh, would be more yeah. appealing in some ways, though, too. Yeah, I, I suspect yeah. that would have the edge. Depending on the age, yeah. But one would wonder what the National Guard wants to get in the business of driving school buses, though. Yeah, they, yeah. that's not something that's true. that people want to do. Yeah. Well, that wraps it up for today's edition of uh, The X-Files on Armchair Politics, our weekly roundtable on the Tom Sumner program. We have, uh, oh, we have three or four minutes left before the end of the show. If anybody has any final thoughts or comments they'd like to share. Uh, I was just going to mention that we were talking about journalism earlier in the program. and I, I, Did anybody see the uh, public TV program the last couple of nights on William Randolph Hearst? Interesting stuff on the uh, yellow journalism of the 1890s in that era, and many things beyond that as well. But an interesting program that's worth watching. No, Can you I give us a brief one minute? Yeah, on yeah, go ahead, Henry. No, I was thinking... Oh, you uh, were asking Paul, Paul to, to give a little synopsis. Yes. Oh, yeah, it, it, was, just, it was just a history of, of, of his life, William Randolph Hearst, and, and how he built his... Uh, media empire and, and how he, uh, frankly, as a, as a reporter, really changed journalism in terms of what was called yellow journalism of the uh, 1890s and early 20th century, and uh, and then his various attempts in politics to really dominate politics by 
both building the news the way he saw it and on occasion running for office, although usually unsuccessfully. But uh, uh, in many ways, as, as I was watching the program, he struck me almost as a Trump-like character. He was a guy who did not uh, believe in any rules at all and would break them whenever he felt like it and uh, had seemed to have a similar kind of ego as Donald Trump, too. So, as I say, I, I, I was certainly aware of Hearst in the most general sense, but there were a, a lot of details there that I had not uh, known before I saw the program. It was on on the American Experience on public TV the last couple of nights, and I'm sure they'll rerun it as they often do. But many, many, many people who uh, helped to build the country to where it was became the uh, big, most successful nation in history uh, were ruthless. Think the oil. And steel. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. He, he was very definitely. But it would have never been done if we had been, if it had been based on the group process. It would have yeah. never gotten done. So we thank these people for uh, being able to survive a long life successfully and build something that we could all benefit from. I don't know. It's not up to us in this generation to go back and say what they did wrong. Or, but we benefited, you know, this is what I'm saying. Or yeah, what, yeah. A lot of people say that we went to war with Spain over Cuba in large part because of Hearst, who wanted the war because it made for great headlines and sold papers. And there was serious debate about whether or not the uh, the incidents that kicked off that war really actually happened as, as depicted by Hearst. But they, they were seen, that, seen in that light during his time. And again, a lot of historians look at him as being the major force in bringing us to war with Spain over Cuba in the 1890s. Interesting. Yeah, well, yeah, interesting character. Quite a character. Quite a character. Well, I don't say everything that journalism does is wrong. <clears throat> you know, <laughs> uh, because that's how it was, and and we don't, we had no judgment in it, and we had no input in it, and we can't really say whether they were right or wrong. It was that generation. But, but he would he would sensationalize everything. I mean, you know, the old story up in Bleeds at Leeds was certainly the the way he ran a lot of his stories. Every crime story became pumped up uh, as his front page headlines and so forth. Uh, and uh, and he changed his views. At one time, he was very much an advocate of the the working person, the the the, the poor in New York, and later became kind of a right wing guy by the middle and late 1930s, so his views changed dramatically over his life as well. Uh, well, that wraps it up for today's edition yeah. of Armchair Politics. I want to say thanks to our roundtable regulars, yeah. Paul Rosicki. Paul, thanks good. as always. Always good to be here. And, and Henry Hatter, it's always a treat to visit with you, my friend. Yeah, I thank Paul for that great rendition. And Jan, it's always a treat when you visit us as well. Jan Worth Nelson. Jan? I think Jan maybe. I think maybe. Take care, Jan. Take care, Henry. Hi. Okay. Goodbye. I think we must have lost her, but Jan Worth yeah. Nelson was with us uh, for the whole two hours from uh, the East Village Magazine. And thanks to Jan. Don't forget four, five, and six wards uh, tomorrow on the Tom Sumner program. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. 
Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.